Hi, and welcome to Literary Work in Progress, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Kristen, and I was recruited by MI7 when I was 14 to be a spy for the British government. I am Cameron, and when I was learning how to play the French horn for the first time, I cut two of the tendons in my left hand and it put me out for six months. Ouch. Is that a true story? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Oh, um, <laughs> I'm Dan. And there was a time in, when I was 12 when my dad went off to Iraq with the army, and so I didn't have my dad for a year, and I thought he was going to die. Oh, sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say I'm a victim of tropes, and I'm an orphan, but now I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm Sorry. Kaylin, and I'm a victim of Dan's superior sympathy. <laughs> okay, so today we have a special guest, Trisha Levenseller. Um, she's the author of Daughter of the Pirate King, and don't get the articles mixed up in there because it will be problematic. You. Exactly. Trisha, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? What's your sympathy um, story? I once saved a fully grown man from drowning. Wow. Is, is that one true? That actually is true. <laughs> Dude! I'm trying to find cool people! I almost died too, though, oh, so it was yikes. really scary. We were in the ocean. And he was, like, getting dragged out to sea. And I was like, oh, oh crap. He was, like, suffering from hypothermia and so, like, couldn't swim. And I was like, oh, this oh is a gosh. bad idea, but I'll, okay, sure. Hypothermia you know? ocean, too. You, 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 yes. you could say Oregon the experience coast. was chilling. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So, it's like, so it's rocky shore. Yes. Oh, no fun. <laughs> so now I write books set on the sea because it is a scary, dangerous place. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, guys. We're glad to have you. So today... As you could maybe probably not tell from our introductions, <laughs> our discussion is about how to help people like your main character, or how to make them sympathetic if not likable. So I guess the question to start off with is, why is it important for people to like your protagonist, or what is the difference between an unlikable narrator and having a main character that's just impossible to identify with? I feel like one of the most important reasons you need your character to be likable or at least sympathetic is it's really hard to read about someone who you don't care about. I've heard it said the nine most deadly words anyone can say about your stories. I do not care what happens to these people. Did that so line is... up right? Yep, that's <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna call you on it. <laughs> I think most people will agree that you need to care about the main character, but it's a little more difficult when we start focusing on the craft of actually making that happen. Because a lot of times in queries that I read or first chapters, I will find characters that I'm sure I'm supposed to like and that I just can't because I don't know enough about them. So what are some things that will automatically help people to identify with or maybe understand your character a little bit better? I think a lot of times one of the easiest things to do, but not the only way to do it, is to have your character not just do something that people generally think is a good thing, but have motivations for doing that good thing, something that's relatable. So for a lot of times, you use the trope, pet the dog. You know, if you want to show someone's a nice person, you show them petting a dog. Or kittens. Or, I like or, kittens. or, or, or petting a kitten. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> Either one works. What you have to be careful, though, is that you can't just show someone pet a dog. Because just showing someone pet a dog, like, without any context, doesn't actually say anything. So it's. I think it does, but it's a tropey. If someone really likes boring, animals, yeah, then yeah. that makes you like them a little bit, but it's only well, so going to go so that you say, far. You say petting kittens. We have two characters who pet kittens. You like them both the same amount. Is that what you're saying? Well, one of them is an orphan who just came out of an orphanage, and the other one is an old creepy guy with a mustache sitting in a big plush chair. Which <laughs> <laughs> context. See, I'm more interested in the creepy guy. That's <laughs> interested, but do you like him? Well, I don't know anything about him yet. Are that's judging true. People the point being, either way, either way, <laughs> either way, the context for the petting the dog is important. Absolutely. I think this is a good point just because I think you're talking a little bit about motivation here and 
personally, I can like any character, or at least I can come to care about them, even if they're a horrible person. So my classic example is Kaz Brucker from mm-hmm. Six of Crows. He's not a nice guy. I would not want to go party with Kaz. Like, she doesn't just... even try to make him nice. No, she even there's... describes him as like having shark, like creepy just, eyes. Just... Kaz would <laughs> like slit my throat. I am not the sort of person who... I would party with I like... like... Challenge. I'd party with Inej. I'd totally party with Nina. There, Okay, so there are lots of people I'd party with, but I would have a hard time with Kaz. But even though he's like digging people's eyeballs out with his fingers and murdering people and pushing them overboard and obsessed with money, actually, so he is really interesting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like that that's what you took from that list of things. But he's a viewpoint character, and a lot of times, even if I think his motivation is a little drama queen extraordinaire, it comes across as something that I care about and I'm rooting for him because I want him to take down Pika Rollins, as I think his name. I, I just want want to see him win because even though he's a little bit of an amoral guy he he's so you, interested I mean, so would you say it's fun to watch him win it's fun to watch you win when you understand why why they want to win i think what you're boiling it down to is proactivity definitely also. it's just mm-hmm. when characters have goals we're excited to see those goals fall through and even if the goal is something bad like i want to kill this dude we want to see them reach that goal we want to see the justice even if the justice maybe is kind of a little amoral but mm-hmm. definitely proactivity is well i mean like super oceans important. 11 the whole point of that is robbing a casino <laughs> an Italian exactly. job. yeah right. Like, but robbing people is not a good thing. We love high stories. Yes. Yeah. It just made me think. The other day I was thinking about how many movies can I think of where they have a great villain and a great main character. Like, usually the villain is more interesting. And one of the reasons why is they're doing something. And I thought, okay, can I think of any where the main character is just as fun as his villain if it's a good villain? And sure. I was like... Yeah. I, was thinking Cumber- I was actually I was thinking, thinking of another Cumberbatch movie. I was thinking of the Star Trek of Khan versus... You know, mm-hmm. the whole team, they both have very interesting motives. And- but I can immediately throw out a bunch of examples where that didn't work. The Dark Knight, Heath Ledger's Joker is way more way. interesting than oh Batman. And it just made me think, what can I do to make the main character more fun? Richard the Third. That one has a good villain hero balance. So I think one of my favorite ways that I've heard this sort of what we're this phenomenon that we're kind of talking about but not labeling described is that you can kind of break down the reasons why people enjoy characters into how proactive they are as a character, how relatable they are as a character, and then, heaven help me, I forgot what the how third one is. How good they are. How good they are. How, and, then, and then how competent yeah, they the are, exactly. Thank so you, you have a character, you have a character, <laughs> and a character like Cumberbatch's Sherlock, who is not very likable, he's not a very nice person, but he's insanely proactive and he's insanely competent. He's fun to watch do what he does, even if you don't necessarily like. He's also funny. Right. Well, and unintentionally right, a lot of times. Right. But he's fun to watch because he's entertaining. Like, he says things that make us laugh. So we like him, even if we're laughing at him sometimes. <laughs> there, are lo- there are a lot of shows and books when the main character is surrounded by people more interesting than they are. And I think, why can't we have the story be about that person? Oh and gosh. your main character doesn't always have to be the most entertaining person. But uh, it helps if we like them. They don't have to be a nice person for us to like them, but it really helps. They should be at the center of the action, if, though, I think. They are. I think I cut you off. What were you saying? Yes. Well, so we, can sure. give, we can give the counter example where we say you have a character like Tolkien's Bilbo, who is not particularly competent, but is rather on the likable side. He's, he's someone that, particularly when it came out, you know, this is, this is the English countryside gentleman. This is a real person most people would know if you lived in that area. Aside from the fact that everyone's short and has hairy feet in the Shire, there's nothing about the Shire that couldn't be in the real world. That's true. 
you know, my sister is short and has hairy feet. Just kidding, Natalie. <laughs> I think something else that's really important about making a character likable is to give your main character flaws. I just do not care about a perfect person. It's not real. It's not going to come across as someone I want to read about. If they can't make mistakes, there's not much conflict. Yeah, involved. exactly. Superman is like a super boring character. Oh my yep. gosh. <laughs> Don't even get me We're going to offend DC people, but yeah, I hate Superman. Which is what's interesting, because so you can tell that they tried to fix that with the reboot by making him all broody, except the problem was they lowered his likability. He has all these powers, but he's not very good at using them because people still died, right? Mm -hmm. So he's just... He just, so he doesn't score high in any of the tracks. He has Except to be... He has to be... That's, that's what he's got going <laughs> I'm for. I'm so beautiful. <laughs> Flaws or being fallible. I heard somewhere that Spider-Man is the most valuable superhero at the moment, even more than Batman, because he's a very, very flawed character. He's a teen with a lot of issues he's still working through. He's a real person also, who can do really cool stuff. That, so we see ourselves in him because we are also flawed people who wish we could do cool stuff. Something else that I think helps with making a character likable is to have them interacting with other multidimensional characters. A really multidimensional person interacting with cardboard cutouts is not a good it doesn't way tell you. to like. The cardboard cutouts might as well be a mirror, but if the thing looking in the mirror isn't detailed in the first place, you're not actually getting any information out of the exchange. Mm -hmm. I think some people make the mistake of trying to make the secondary characters less interesting to make the main character more interesting, but you can have multiple interesting main characters and it's actually better for it. So, Trisha, yeah, <laughs> we got a little bit of a conflict here. We so... did, we were arguing. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alosa. In yes. Daughter of the Pirate King. She is a very bloodthirsty character. And when I first was talking to Trisha about this, I said the word mean, which is not a good one. <laughs> I, personally, <laughs> I personally wouldn't want to run into Alosa in a back street because I would be afraid that she would kill me, honestly. <laughs> so maybe that's not mean. She is really good at what she does. Okay. But how did you manage to make her likable, even though she opens the book pretty much by, like, killing people? Right. Uh, so first, I, for ne I neglected to say what the book was about real oh, quick. Let's Can do I that. get my one-sentence pitch so that when Please I talk do. about Alyssa... <laughs> Away. Okay, so Daughter of the Pirate King is about 17-year-old female pirate captain Alosa who intentionally gets herself kidnapped by enemy pirates on purpose so she can steal a treasure map from off their ship. So No wonder she... you like Kaz. <laughs> <laughs> she has to be brutal because she's in this crew full of pirates. It's a pirate world and their moralities are so much different from ours. So I think setting it up with that sort of framework where, hey, just in general... The morality of this world is going to be different from other worlds. I think first paints the picture of, yeah, we're going to have characters that are a little bit more brutal. But also just, it, as Cameron mentioned before, the motives behind their actions. Was it you that said that? I'm sorry. I, it was both okay, of us. Okay, okay. Both of, of you are brilliant, and I'm going to quote both of you. She does it because she wants to impress her father. She's doing this for her father. And who hasn't ever wanted to try to please their parents and make them proud of them? And so I think a lot of people can relate to that, even though they're not bloodthirsty pirates. She's trying to steal this map so that he can maintain this autonomy over the ocean. Because if he steals this treasure that this map leads to, then he will be rich enough to bribe every single pirate to work for him. And he will just maintain this um, monarchy that he has has over the seas. So pleasing parents, something that we can relate to. But also she's brutal in that beginning scene because she's trying to save her crew members that came with her that intentionally got kidnapped with her. They're going to all get killed except for her. And so she starts killing off the enemy pirates to be like, hey, you start killing them off, I'm going to start killing off your guys. So she does bad things, but she does them for good reasons. And I think in books, not necessarily in real life, but in books, <laughs> intent means something and mm -hmm. that can lessen the brutality of it as well. What are some basic writing things that can distance us from a character? One thing is POV jumping. If we're not solidly in your character's point of view, whether it's third or first or whatever, if we're like 
jumping through so we don't understand motivations or we don't even understand what we're looking at, it's really, really hard to understand not only what's going on on the page, but why we should like the character. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Which isn't to say you can't switch POVs, but you've got to do it well. So and follow the actions in case we need the plot to carry it before we fully understand the characters. I would say there's an element of skill in being able to establish a unique character voice, and I think it's really important that you don't transfer to a new character until you've established the voice that you're in. And your skill For level sure. will determine how long that takes. For Cameron, stop. it's just one sentence. One <laughs> sentence alone. <laughs> the first sentence. <laughs> On a more technical scale, I think something that causes a lot of problems is was verbing. Mm. So passive voice. Passive voice. Yes, that is the problem. It getting it, caught up in the language and stuff. Yeah, it, there was a lot of discussion it, in this group about that. <laughs> Do you want to talk was about there? that, Dan? <laughs> no. <laughs> As the one who struggles most with it, I will defer. I think all of us struggle <laughs> with say, it. She could oh, say, definitely. we all laughed rather than Dan heard us laugh. Well, that's right. a filter word. That's slightly different, but it's also there was a much problem. Laughter. There was much laughter. <laughs> or like, were shed. it detracts from your character being proactive. If everything happens to your character, like, Alosa was hit, Alosa was shot, Alosa's best friend was felled to the ground. That didn't make sense. That's but, <laughs> but if you have Alosa shoots people, like that's a lot different. And it says a lot more about That's not character. a direct quote in the book. Alosa well, shoots people. Just <laughs> She shoots specific people, not she people in general. <laughs> she shoots all the people. <laughs> but mechanically, I think it's something to watch out for. And like Cameron is saying, filter words are a problem. It's something I notice in early drafts a lot is the narration will say like, Kristen heard voices or Kristen tasted this or Kristen felt this. It just makes your prose a little clunkier than it needs to be. And it also distances the reader from the action. There's an extra level of processing that is happening in the sentence that doesn't need to be there. So how do you do that? How do you, what's a better way of saying it? scratching growl of their voices murmured up through the floorboards. Rather than, I heard voices. Or even, like, I heard scratching voices coming up through the floorboards, but... Instead of just saying, scratching voices murmured up through the floorboards. Yeah, take, take get rid of heard. your herds, get rid of your felts, get rid of your saws, get rid of your the stuff that makes your sentence longer and pushes the action away. And your wuzzes. Wuzzes. Wuzzes are the problem. And there are. So like, you have to use real verbs instead of... Yeah. yeah. I think you can always take something too far. You can search for is and then take out every single one and put in an active verb, but that would probably be clunky too. Or in you some can, places, it's just, not worth, it's just not worth the extra space. Balance. Yeah, exactly. Or you can do that with your adverbs too. There are people who say, do not ever use adverbs, but some are okay. Sometimes it's better to use a single adverb than lengthen the Unless sentence by yeah, another five words. Heck you want. That's right. <laughs> She um, wins everything. <laughs> this is a little strange, but I was thinking about this. If you keep too many secrets from your reader in the beginning, it's one thing if they don't know there's a secret, but if you tell your character, you could probably not write out, I have a secret I'm keeping from you, but if they know you're keeping things from them, it's so frustrating. And it's hard to connect with a character when they're not telling you the things they're thinking of. So if you are doing like... I write unreliable narrator. It's okay if they don't know you're keeping a secret from them. But if you are, like, ward the reader as they read, you know, which isn't to say you can't keep secrets, but slowly let them come out so the reader does feel rewarded as they read. And that will also help you connect with the characters more instead of being frustrated with them. Or have an alternative explanation for all of the details. Yes, yes. Does that make sense as well? Absolutely. Okay, if it's okay to transition to the second half of the podcast, this is the part where we go over a submission that we've received and we critique it the way we critique in our writing group. 
which means that we'll spend about two minutes talking about things that worked really well. We did like things. Yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> That's not why she's pausing. No, I'm pausing because my brain's a million places right now. <laughs> and then for the next eight or so minutes, we talk about things that need a second look. So things that didn't necessarily make sense to us or didn't work for us. And we will avoid being prescriptive at all costs. So if we start telling the writer what to do, someone needs to make a woo-woo sound <laughs> or like an alarm or something. Just know that you can start ignoring us as soon yeah. as you, we say, you should. Yeah. It's just the automatic, don't listen anymore. We're not writing your story. You're writing your story. That's right. So Sorry. the submission is called, let me pull it up. Super Girlfriend. Super Girlfriend. Trisha, tell us what it's about. to <laughs> <laughs> find it. Uh, Supergirl was about this girl, Sierra, who the submission starts out with her on her way to turn in her art homework when a supervillain starts creating havoc in the streets and is blocking up traffic as she's trying to turn in her homework. But luckily, her city superhero, Paladin, comes in and saves the day. And so she sort of witnesses this little save and then she gets to turn in her homework and then there's a second part of this mission where it kind of goes into her and how she interacts with her boyfriend and her classmates a little bit and just sets up a little bit more of the character's personality I would say. Yeah so we're gonna start by talking about things that we liked and one thing that I enjoyed is I just thought the beginning was really funny just because you've got this super villain raging through the town and Sierra's just like this is just another day oh man (laughs) traffic stopped up and I just I think it's a nice perspective on a genre that gets overdone a lot because superheroes are the thing and so I just really enjoyed the kind of humdrum tone of the beginning the opening chapter the opening page the opening paragraph the opening sentence can have a big effect on whether or not someone reads your story or if you can get published and I thought this opening moment talking about not another supervillain attack on the day I need to get my art homework turned in Mm -hmm. was just really, really funny and I wanted to read the rest. It's a really great tone promise. By the end of the first paragraph, you know exactly what the tone of the entire book is going to be like. I agree. I loved how she's like, you can actually feel her rolling her eyes as she sees like cars get thrown across the street. <laughs> Not now. Before. Yeah. Actually, it, it makes me think a little bit of The Rest of Us Just Live Here by Patrick Nest, which mm-hmm. I, <laughs> is the it, best. Yeah, it's really good. I also really like, after she gets back to her boyfriend, her boyfriend mentions that he's also turning in an art project, and I like that she forgot, because I feel like that's a very telling moment, because she's like, my boyfriend who loves me, and it's so awesome, and it's like this perfect little relationship thing that sounds like high school, silly, like Sweet Valley High, but she forgets, and it's like, oh yeah, you're a person too, okay. (laughs) I thought there were also some really good voice moments, um, because Sierra is an artist, and there are a couple of times where she compares her boyfriend to particular works of art or artists, Uh and that's not... Don't we all do that? Yeah, (laughs) But it tells me a lot about her, and I knew what she was trying to say based on the metaphors that she used. I like that she was sympathetic. Is it okay if I switch to the second part of the submission? I'm going to anyway. Sure. Um, uh, There's a part where she's, like, helping work on this uh, float for... Was it a dance? A parade. A parade. A parade. She climbs this ladder, and she falls off the ladder because the wind is blowing really hard, and there's this part where all her classmates are like laughing at her. And I was like, Oh, and when you feel that deep sympathy for someone, that's also something that draws you into a character. So they can be really good at something, but they can also have something really bad happen to them. And that right there, that sympathetic moment definitely uh, made me connect with the character right there. Even if you haven't had a bunch of people crowded around you laughing at you, yes. the idea is kind of, of terrible. It's mortifying enough. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Then if we want to go ahead and move on to things that need a second look, Caitlin, do you want to start us off? Sure. So the reason we chose our topic for the first part of our discussion is because I felt like I was kind of, 
outside of Sierra a little bit. I felt like we were watching her from the outside. It wasn't so much in the very beginning because I felt like there was a really great establishment of voice there. But as soon as we transfer over to getting to the school and turning in her homework and meeting her boyfriend, I felt like we were watching her from the outside. I didn't, I mean, there were lots of I am or I walked out or there are lots of I starting statements instead of like giving us atmospheric details about the things she touches and tastes and smells and feels. It was all just actions. And so I felt like I was just watching her as if I were standing across the street watching someone walk instead of like being in her head. We're going to disagree here. Okay. I actually had the complete opposite. Yes, I conflict. Yeah. I actually had the complete opposite reaction in that I was not a particularly really big fan of the voice in the first section of the first half, but I really liked the voice in the second half. For me, in the first half, so we did have this this entertaining section with oh, it's just another supervillain attack. But well, no, maybe I've just seen Megamind too many times. But my reaction to that was, well, this is kind of how everyone in the city is. Everyone just kind of reacts with this blase fair. Blase fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, economics, where you just don't actually care about it. <laughs> where, where, for me, I, my brain just made a leap. It might not be fair for my brain to make this leap, but it did happen. Where I said everybody just kind of treats supervillains attacks as just it's like the weather. It just happens. Who cares? And so for me. I felt like I got voice for the city, but not voice for her. Mm. I felt like I learned a lot about where she lives, but nothing about her because I didn't see anything that was unique to her specifically running into this problem. I'm going to be the intermediary here and say <laughs> that since both of them agree that there was a distinct shift in voice, we have a problem there. And I will actually second that just because... To me, the first half of the submission and the second half did feel very distinct. And one thing that I I guess I was a little confused by or wondered about was that in the second half of the submission, once Sierra's actually at school, it felt like the focus really wasn't even on her. It shifted to her boyfriend. It shifted to her boyfriend and not, it didn't feel intentional that it was right. shifting to her boyfriend. Because if he's like another point of view character, cool. If he's like the main character, that's great. But Let's it see it from his point of view. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I totally agree with that. Because everything that we start talking about is related to the boyfriend. Like, she almost ruins her art. And I was like, oh, no, we have this art, and she's tried so hard to get it in. And then I realized that all of that was a setup just for her boyfriend to save her. And then, once again, when we get her out trying to fix the float, she's doing this thing where she's up there trying to fix it. And it seems like kind of a silly thing for her to have to do. And then she falls, and her boyfriend comes and saves her again. And I was kind of like... Okay, I get that maybe we're saying that her boyfriend is a secret superhero. Yeah, but I didn't feel like anything that happened was about Sierra. It was all to show the boyfriend. Does Dan have something to say? (laughs) I feel that to build off a lot of this, yeah, she just doesn't seem all that in control of herself because she's annoyed this supervillain's attacking, but then she's screaming as the supervillain's attacking, and then she doesn't even really talk about it afterward, Mm. and. I could tell that this was humorous, but I didn't know if it was full-on parody. And we have this cliché perfect boyfriend, and we have this cliché evil cheerleader captain. And I feel like we're getting a lot of scenes that only we're relying on our previous knowledge of other stories we've seen for these scenes to have meaning. Like, oh, well, this is the heroic moment where the boyfriend chooses to throw away his homecoming king because he's such a wonderful guy. And The Duff is an excellent Cameron had a different take on it. Are you the one that thought that this was going to be completely subversive? Kind of. So titles are a way that you can make promises about what the book's going to be about. So given that the title of the submission was Super Girlfriend, I kind of went into it 
with the suspicion that the it would be Sierra who ends up with powers. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that in mind, <clears throat> the kind of setups for her to be saved were not quite as as jarring in that we're setting up a contrast where it's like, well, she's she's at the bottom, she's, the she's at the right bottom but she's going to go to the top or or something like that. I mean, so that said, it did feel like the high school culture was as seen on TV rather than as seen in real life. But not in a... There's part, I think maybe kind of what we danced around and haven't talked too much about is Dan alluded to how when we first hear about the supervillain attacking, we're just, oh, traffic. This is going to make traffic bad. Dang it. But then as the trouble actually gets closer, she has a realistic human reaction of, I'm going to die, right? But then it's just gone. And that transition leaves us... So in other words, when we go through, there's a subversion... The story subverts itself in that first section, shifting from, oh, this is just traffic to, oh, I'm going to die. But then it just resets like nothing happened. And that doesn't tell us what to do with it. And I think it makes us wary of the next part because we've already had kind of this dramatic shift from how serious we're supposed to be taking things. So when we get to the stereotypically evil cheerleader setting up the fall, we're not sure how to take it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Real people process things, traumatic things that happen to them. And by not giving us a clear sense of how we're supposed to process... By the character not processing the beginning scene, we as readers don't know how to process it either, mm-hmm. I think, is the problem. And I think it gave us a bit of emotional whiplash as well, yeah. just because that was my number one issue, I think, with this opening, was that it starts off super blasé. I was like, oh, this is going to be funny. And then, like... Not the only one who uses that word. Uh, okay, well, <laughs> that's his word. It was really nonchalant. Uh, I'll, I'll claim my own word. Nonchalant trademark, Kristen. But as soon as she actually gets into the situation, it, it's just a snap. There's really no prepping of your readers, I guess, for the change that happens. And on a much smaller, more mechanical scale, I, and Trisha agreed with me on this one, was, actually she wrote it and I agreed with her. <laughs> Taking credit. Yeah. <laughs> but I did think it, I was, we were confused about whether or not Sierra was supposed to be in high school or in college. At the beginning, while she's like driving, she sees somebody walking by and she calls her another senior. And in my brain, I was thinking an elderly citizen yeah. when I read that. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not a student. And I was like, who was the first senior? So I, I think, think just watching labeling so which, helps. I mean, it's like a really small thing. It but is. this is a plug, a serious plug for this is why writing groups are so great. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys ever have to drive, like turn in your homework after class, though? In I yeah, never, I never. Like, never. Which well, I mean, she's that's turning, a, that's a college Which she's thing. going to a museum, so you can kind of extrapolate out that nice. the assignment was to go do something outside of class. But, well, but at school, a lot of times... Well, doing your homework in class. The point yeah. being that we can speculate, but we shouldn't yeah. have to. Not, yeah, exactly. Not, 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 yeah. not, about, not mm-hmm. about the reason why the scene's happening, unless that's the point, but that wasn't the point. Especially so in the beginning, you don't want to give your readers the wrong questions. You don't want them to be trying to catch up and figure out what's going on. You want to engage them in the story. There can be mystery about what's going on, but not little technicalities. That's dangerous. Technicalities that come to mind, like when she falls from a 20-foot float. That's a really tall float, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> um, nobody goes to help her. Not even the adult. Not one. Yeah. And, or she's like, oh, my mom's, <laughs> like, mom's going to be so realistic. mad at what happened to the car. And it's like, your mom's going to be grateful you didn't get killed. Well, also, she fell off a 20-foot float. Like, is she hurt? I mean, <laughs> she mentions that she is hurt. Arm, think, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she breaks her arm, except that I think I wouldn't be thinking about my mom if my arm was broken. That's no, I, sorry. Personal. That was referring to earlier uh, after, the, oh, okay. after the car gets wrecked. I feel I like there was no real my mom if I broke my arm. I, I'd be like, mom, come to help me. Well, I mean, like, she's <laughs> so focused. Way. 
maybe I haven't broken enough bones, but she's so focused on people looking at her rather than like the pain. My arm's the... broken. Although that's kind of a realistic thing. Okay. I, I can buy that because when I shattered my thumb playing softball, I was like <laughs> standing in the outfield, like crying. I didn't realize my thumb was shattered and I was just like hoping no one was looking at me. Oh. So like sympathy. I played three innings on a broken thumb. So <laughs> just letting you know. So competence. Yeah. <laughs> Kristen is I'm our most sympathetic character. character. We care about. No, I think that's a good point is just to watch out for, I guess, consequences is really what comes to mind. Because if you fall from a 20 foot thing, I hope the people around you do come and help you. So I At don't least know. one. Not everybody's yeah. going to be a jerk. Not the entire class who's there helping it. That's unrealistic. Mm. There might be lots of jerks in class, but there's no way not a single person would come over. I've kind of said this before already. But I think I came up with a better way to say it, so I'm going to say it again. We have the traumatic experience of her almost dying due to the supervillain thing, but then it's just washed under the rug. So that creates the expectation that now that she's broken her arm and had this traumatic everyone laughing at her, that that's just going to get swept under the rug as well. So that's why we don't care. That's, really that's a very good point. point. Did you want to mention the fight? You had some thoughts about Oh, that. I did say something about the fight. That fight scene at the beginning, uh, milk that. That's an exciting moment. Uh, we couldn't really tell if she was like close to it, if she was far away from it, if she we just saw a snippet. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, have her be there, have her see the fight, have her like, like this is your world building. Show more of the world. I, I guess. guess I would temper that by saying whatever it is that you want to accomplish, whether sure. it's but go all the way. Don't yeah. Like if it's I don't see anything I about cars. Don't have if we if you just want to see cars getting thrown in and like have her life be in danger great if you want her to actually see the fight great but don't go halfway sure and yeah. like we I have her what's happening yeah is she there is she not there yeah because yeah. you have her listening to like the the superhero she, saying something here's the conversation right but how so did that if happen she does she should see the entire they're wearing fight. megaphones and, and like <laughs> superheroes can project their voices yeah minor counterpoint just because i feel obligated to do so is okay. that is that <laughs> If you do take that very prescriptive advice and 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 bring out the fight more, just make sure that you d keep the scene about the character and don't Absolutely. make it about a person watching something cooler. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> cooler is always better, but make it about the character for sure. Character. That's a very good point. They have a sign. The school motto is like, "Be find the hero within," and it's said uh, one of those nonsense platitudes that sound cool but has no real life application. <laughs> Can relate. <laughs> so I appreciate it. Me too. <laughs> All right, Trisha, thank you so much for coming in and talking with us. Yeah. Everybody, read her books, Daughter That's of the okay. Pirate King. Read it. It's great. This has been Literary Work in Progress. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. Hi, Caitlin here. If you're interested in looking at the submission that was featured in today's podcast, you can find it on our website, literarywip.wixsite.com slash podcast. That's literarywip.wixsite.com slash podcast. If you're interested in submitting your work for us to look at, you can find our submission guidelines on that same website. And we'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to our podcast in iTunes and leave us a rating and comment while you're there because it helps other people to discover our podcast. Thanks, and see you next week.